Mongish is a podcast produced by Hmong American Media, located in Sacramento, California, and sponsored by Hmong Organizing for Progress and Empowerment Center, also known as the Hope Center, and Culture Through Cloth. I am your host, Sean. And I'm your host, Pachia. And we are Mongish. Mongish is a podcast where Pachia and I share our thoughts on anything and all things Hmong, uh, diving into our own experiences of what it means to be Hmong and American in today's society. So today we are discussing something that I think is super fascinating and interesting, um, and that is Hmong woman magic and cultural what? stereotypes. Hmong woman magic. Okay. So the cultural stereotypes that uh, Hmong Miao women um, have in the East, um, which heavily involve this concept of magic or black magic. So um, I don't think this is a topic that gets really talked about very much. So I think it would be really interesting to our listeners. Um, but with this, we're going to be going over cultural stereotypes of Hmong Miao women around black magic um, within Chinese cinema. Um, and then also we're going to be taking a look at female figures or celebrities in China who also have Hmong Miao origins and how they have ultimately ended up under these, uh, falling under these types of stereotypes. My undergraduate studies was in Chinese history. And, you know, when I took Chinese history, especially in Ming China and uh, Qing China, you know, you you hear about um the the Ch- Chinese women in that era were footbound. You know, they're they're supposed to be filial to the household, their husband. Uh, you know, their foot's bound, so they can't do any work and they can't get out of the house. However, Hmong women experienced the freedom that none that none of these women experienced. You know, their foot wasn't bound; they could go out of the household. They were poor, they were peasants, but they were free. But they had this sense of. Freedom, freedom in a sense, sense that was different to, to women who were about. Yes, so, uh, you know, scholars and people around this time, you know, they feared the Hmong woman. They fear, so they come up with the notion of goo magic. Mm-hmm. You know, goo magic is uh, a myth that uh, these women from southern China knows how to use poison and... You know, they use poison, snakes, centerpiece. They yeah. blend it into certain things, and they, you know, either they're hypersexualized, right? Mm-hmm. You're the, the the Hmong woman who uses poison, hypersexualized, uh, tricks men into yeah men to sleeping with them or kills them. So this it kind of becomes associated with like black magic, magic that's done for like sexuality or sex not sexuality but like sexual purposes to kind of seduce men. Um, and I don't know, you 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 obviously know a little bit more about it than I do. I kind of so, did some readings on it. Yeah, so so it's goo, a new concept. Yeah, so to they me. call it they call it goo magic, and it's like witchcraft. And I think it's still a big thing in China today. It's like, like a type of it's yeah. a type of sorcery and sorcery. witchcraft. So it says here, goo magic is a famous witchcraft remedy, allegedly said to be a dangerous product of the Miao in China, and was actually. Uh, which was a saying that was actually traceable to the Han. So this connection suggested that such lore was promoted by a need to enforce ethnic boundaries in light of the scandalous sexual and gender mores of the Miao and the fear that intermarriage or sexual relations with their woman would mean irrevocable contamination. Um, So 
this analysis uh, addressed the problem of danger surrounding minority sexuality and marriage practices through an examination of Han allegations of the Miao's use of magic poison. And this power attributed to uh, Miao woman to cause illness and even death through goo poison sorcery was a projection of the fear held by the Han Chinese of the perceived strength and relative freedom in Miao woman's gender roles. So this part I thought was very interesting. Um, this strength and relative freedom profoundly threatened the Confucian moral order, which already saw Han women as dangerous because of their liminal status as those who moved through marriage between competitive or hostile lineages. Um, the threat implied by outside women marrying in was compounded by the fact that during the Ming and Qing dynasties, large number of male migrants and demobilized soldiers who had been sent to suppress Mao rebellions had settled in these southwest provinces and in the absence of Han women depended on the Miao and other non-Han for marriage partners, making the maintenance of a safe distance impossible. So this is actually um, a quote um, from uh, the cultural anthropologist and scholar Louisa Shine, who's done quite a lot of uh, studies on not just Miao, but like ethnic minority ethnic women, minority woman and their and, role in China, gender roles yeah. in China. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, and you could see where you know women played a role in Chinese society. You know, women played a role in, in marriages, and they would uh, go to a different lineage or a different clan, and then they would rear children for that clan. So, if you're prominent in this family, you're taking that wealth, that knowledge to another clan, and so they were seen as a threat as mm -hmm. well and for uh, the Hmong woman it was even a bigger threat to Confucian values because we were free I guess I was gonna ask if you know but like was foot binding generally done for all Han women or Han women of status mostly Han women of status but, then but that would even mean like middle class people middle class people people in cities like yeah. if you were in the city because generally and peasants, you have to work to get by. Yes. So you're not going to bind a woman's feet and not have them be able to work. Yes, and that's... that's so in that sense, because we were peasants, then we had more sense of freedom. I'm That's my interpretation. Or, you know, there was high class male families too. But they were, didn't bind they, their they feet. They didn't bind okay, their feet. Okay, good point. The didn't bind their feet. Sure. And they were free. So I think there was this quote when there's one photo I saw that says, male woman takes no back seat to their men, you know, in the 40s. And I was like, wow, okay, yeah, I guess Hmong woman. And, hey. I, don't, <laughs> and I, I don't know how that, you know, how gender roles between as Hmong culture modernized. I mean, that's a great perspective yeah. in looking historically at the role of the woman, right? Yeah. Um, because we don't really have conversations about how women in the past have been empowered. And um, I think that's a great way of looking at it because I hear women say all the time, like their moms are the matriarchs of the family. Like their moms have very like, very like big personalities and you know um do a lot for the family and that's wonderful and that's something that should be recognized definitely so. and in the Hmong culture right when there's a such a big taboo who would you call to come curse the taboo away it's a Hmong woman you yeah. call your aunt who got the more power right and right so yeah. you i was like that's power right there like if, if, if something taboo was to happen within a family you wouldn't call a man to come make yeah. up a rule and i think it's you, a great way to shift the narrative woman, of how yeah. we understand the role of the woman mm -hmm. or traditionally even or today um not to say that violence against women don't, doesn't happen um but you know it's a great way to reshape how we understand like 
the power of women. In many ways, like, because we held this type of power and freedom, then that's been sort of twisted, twisted. To, into some type of a negative, negative cultural twi- stereotype. Yeah, like, like, we become the exoticness for the Han Chinese. Like, yeah. it's exotic. The Hmong woman, the male woman, they're, they're free. They're non-footbound. They can travel freely. They're dangerous. They're witches. They use they're witches. witchcraft. They're the femme fatale. Yeah, femme fatale. They <laughs> are, like, using witchcraft to seduce, like, men yes, and, so, like, bringing yeah, their downfall. Yeah, so, you know, targeting travelers, you know, and all That's that stuff. And I mean, witches in itself... Uh, many of us come from West, like have been raised in Western culture. Many of us, many, I think of our listeners are not Hmong too. Witchcraft itself, I mean, if you look into that history, um, witches were the healers who were using like plants and herbs to help people. Um, and, you know, they had a sense of power as well, which men typically didn't necessarily like and so there was the whole witch hunt craze um witches were targeted uh pagan rituals were, right. or pagan communities mm-hmm. were targeted um and killed off and so it's not really far off or different from what happened in the 16th and 17th century yeah and this phenomenon wasn't even just strictly in china like in vietnam too you know there's stereotypes about uh Hmong people and black magic and you know especially Hmong women hypersexualized and that and so it 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 was fairly recent like in the eighteen hundreds nineteen hundreds they still talk about this and Hmong people and black women and modern day too I and think it's called yeah Bonyai, right? Bonyai, I think so yeah. the instead of goo magic in Vietnam it's called Bonyai, if I'm pronouncing yeah, that right yeah it's how it's spelled yeah <laughs> yeah it's um, and then you know I think that's like black magic that they think that. The, the kin, the ethnic kin, that's the majority of enemies. Uh-huh. They believe that the ethnic folks in the mountains, especially the Hmong Including people, the Hmong. Yeah, yeah, use black magic to, you know, poison or kill travelers or seduce men who go to <laughs> the villages. And, so you know, they're a danger. Yeah, and that negative stereotype is still happening today. Like, I, I shared a personal text with Pachia, one of my friends, and she is... Uh, Indo-Chinese, right? And then I was joking because we, we studied abroad together in China in 2010, and we got pretty close. And I always joked to her, and I was like, I'm, I'm, uh, at first I told her I was male, and she didn't understand. She's like, what's that? And I was like, uh, she's like, Mongolian. So <laughs> she kept sending me all these Mongolian pop songs. She kept sending me all these <laughs> Mongolian? Mongolian pop songs, right? Oh, she liked Mongolian yeah, pop yeah. songs? Yeah, and I was like, no, no, I'm Hmong, I'm Hmong. And then, then I showed her, I was like, okay, you're Vietnamese, right? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, we're we're male from like Sapa uh, and Lao Chai, right? Because they call yeah. uh-huh. And then I was like, Miao Tzu in Chinese and that. And then she's like, oh, okay. She asked around, and then I I kind of joke her. I was like, uh, you know, we know black magic. And then <laughs> and then it, it all came out. Court. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of struck her. She's like, oh, yeah. They do talk about like Hmong people with black magic, and you oh, know, man. I think I think recently I just connected with her, right? And this one attack, she's like, I I don't want to be of a Vietnamese guy, so I picked to be a Chinese guy and I was like I feel sorry for our Southeast Asian guys like we don't we don't get our chance with uh, Asian women and she's like well I thought Hmong people did black magic so I didn't like Hmong people too <laughs> I was like what that, that stereotype is still there like that black magic maybe they see us doing 
shamanism? Yeah, but they think it's no, of course. I, yeah. I think, of course, it comes from shamanism and, you know, living in the wilderness and not within cities or civilization yeah. or something like that. So I think, like, in modern society, maybe some Asian stereotypes, they'll say, you know, this is an Eastern perspective. This is not a Western perspective. Mm-hmm. It's an Eastern perspective that, you know, the, the Hmong are, you know, an, an old, archaic, people who knows how to use poison black magic and they shouldn't and not it's be a, trusted. It, yeah. yeah and i yeah. mean it's a type of stereotype that develops to keep us away from one another yeah um to keep the line from being like tainted or contaminated is exactly what it yeah, said like, like, i read yeah don't don't <laughs> marry the monk person because you'll be tainted or you'll be these other it goes both ways yeah. too right because then like in the Hmong community um you know people don't want you to marry outside either oh yeah mainly because uh oh if you marry outside of the community they're not gonna love you they're gonna look down on you they're, not, they're gonna not gonna treat yeah. you well they're as a gonna, woman <laughs> i've heard that a lot like how do you know that so-and-so is gonna love you what if they treat you badly then we can't really help you or like talk to their families about it going back to portrayal of Hmong women male women so, in cinema. Yeah, so right, I feel like, where, yeah, 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 so this has an impact on how Hmong male women have been portrayed in cinema. Chinese cinema today. Chinese cinema. Today. So not very Chinese, long ago. Chinese pop even, culture. I mean, even still today Chinese is one of the cinema, examples. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today it is still, uh, you know, male women are still exotic. They're to be seeked after now. Uh, they, because, and that's because you mentioned before, like, because we, are this, we come from this old, archaic culture, then to many outsiders in china like hmong women kind of fulfilled this like fantasy of like oh like returning to this like long gone time of like magic and beauty and nature and yeah yeah. ancient times like you've kind of mentioned that before right yeah and so so the first film that we were going to talk about swordsman 2 i know you guys watch swordsman 2 but it's like this great great wuxia film by uh this I, I forgot who the director was. It featured Jet Li and Bridget Lin. And just a quick summary of the film. It, it's actually one of my favorite films growing up. Like, I watched it, and I was like, oh, this film is really cool. And I was like, oh, these must be Hmong people. And you're really happy. But then, in hindsight, 10, 20 years later, after, like, going to college and studying Chinese history, and then you go back and you rewatch the film from a different perspective, and you're like, huh, spirit, it's pretty pretty stereotypical and paints Hmong people in such a so savage way <laughs> let's like let's talk about the film because yeah. i had never seen the swordsman too so it's actually a, a film part of like this th- trilogy movie series yes. so there was the first the second the third Darn. this is the second and it's about uh the main character at the time who is jet Li is character and um he's han chinese he portrays on han chinese okay. swordsman and he and his fellow swordsman comes from like a sacred mountain that is does a special type of martial arts, arts. Yeah. and then there's three groups right there's the japanese invasion and there's the han chinese government which is i think the, the Ming government i uh-huh. believe and then um there's this like there's sun, the moon hi- sun moon cult which is called the high the, the, like they the call highland, them the highlanders, highlanders right um, of the sun moon cult which the, is referencing thing. kind of like what with minority minorities people. in the yeah, highlands yeah i mean they were blowing the thing they were dancing, they were they were drinking, um uh, but then he so he essentially like reconnects with his group of friends yes. which consisted in the online on the online description they said they're like tribal warrior women yes <laughs> <laughs> and then he has to like help them like find their dad, dad. 
um, who's being uh, kept, kept imprisoned by, by the, the brother, the, the moon cult, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, the dad is the leader of the, 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 the Highlanders, right? The structure of the Highlanders in that movie was that uh, the father was of one of the main girl who is apparently a ethnic minority and most likely Hmong or Miao. And then the, the father was locked up by the brother, which is called Invincible Dawn, played by uh, Bridget Lynn. So in the film, Bridget Lynn is a man, but she... So she's this, the, like, yeah. super iconic figure, figure now in, like, wuxia called, fantasy yeah, yeah. novels and stuff. So she is called Invincible Dawn, and long story short, she was a man. She wanted to overthrow the Chinese government, so she worked with the Japanese. Okay. And she gave up being a man to study sacred documents she or sacred cast, he castrated himself yes. to be able to like learn from the scroll Bro. and then he like became, became a, woman. a woman so it's like very fascinating yeah. um and um yeah i just i i recently just watched it i think i've seen it as a young girl but i never really paid attention because i wasn't into martial arts films so i recently rewatched it um, and I watched the Hmong dub version, so I kind of missed out on some of the details and didn't really understand, so I had to go back and read, like, the synopsis of what it was. Um, but fascinating. And so the people who are portrayed as Hmong, which we can't, we can assume because of what they're wearing, and apparently this film actually got, like, best costume film of the year as well, yeah, which I was, thought was when, super interesting. When it, when it interesting. came out, yeah, people um, were like, Super in love with the film because they yeah. like, it features something that was I a part of China. Like the that costumes, but whatever. <laughs> I didn't like it. I thought they were cheesy, um, but I always think that about uh. <laughs> so, um But a lot of their costumes are straight up Hmong. Yes. Yeah. It's not even. It's not even just like Greater Miao group, but it's like straight very like Yunnanese, yeah. like Hmong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like Western yeah. Miao yes. clothing. And so yeah, and so yeah. Long story short, you know, a lot of stereotypes in this movie of, like, goo magic, right? The male woman. The two women were using yeah, goo, magic, goo magic, for sure. For sure. Poison. It's all about poison. They had, like, scorpions, scorpions and snakes. snakes. And, and then at the end, one of the women, she yeah. was, like, dying, and she, like, ate the, the snake. And to I was boost like, her power. Yeah. And I was then, like, yeah. And so I was like, wow, what is these stereotypes, right? And yeah. Then, and then there was, like, one Han woman, and she was with the... Uh, the oh, she was with Jet Li and the yeah. Kiddo, and that's her name in uh -huh. there. Yeah, and so she was, you know, she she didn't have like special powers. She didn't have poison. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, but then like the male woman in there, they were like exotic. They, they drank. They drank. They did drink. They, yeah, drank. They sang. They um, had. They sat on rooftops. Right? Like <laughs> they flew. They sat on rooftops. <laughs> they were <Yeah>. free. <laughs> they were imprisoned. I don't know. There's, yeah. But this it's, play it's of goo magic uh -huh. and the exotic meow woman is still depicted today in modern cinema. The film is very <laughs> fascinating. Like yeah. After I watched it, I realized why people like it so much. So there is this depiction of of Hmong woman in there um, that we are talking about, but also just, like, the main character, Bridget Lynn's character. Like, right. fascinating. Fascinating. Like, yeah. transgender portrayal yes. of, of, like, power and strength and evil. Like, it was really weird. Um, something that I probably can't speak to very much, but yeah. people should watch and it this if is you like haven't a, seen it. This is, like, a conspiracy theory of mine is that, you know, for the Highlanders to be at peak power, right, and mm -hmm. be able to overthrow the government... 
the one of the, the leader had to become a woman, like a, a male woman. That's right? interesting. And being male, Bridget Lynn's character did a lot of sewing, sewing yeah. right? Bandao sewing mm-hmm. that she was sewing all the time. And seemed like her she was sewing her own like empress cloak. Yes, because <laughs> she was sewing a dragon. <laughs> yeah, but. She used needles and right? threads to like yeah. attack people. That was her power. Yes, and so I was like, "Wow, Hmong people!" And now with like the national heritage of China is like our sewing, cross stitches, and all that. Right. But so it like, is. It's like a. It's a characteristic of Highlanders right? to sew and yes. make beautiful clothing yes. and be the artisans of society. Um, but I mean, this extends also into like more recent movies. So the right. Swordsman came out in 1992, 93, 92, early 90s. Yeah. Um, but more recently, there's also like a Chinese drama, right? Chinese, Chinese Paladin. Chinese Paladin Five. It's it's actually a myth you know, based on a video game. I think it has a lot of male culture in it, and they call it male culture, male village. And oh, so they do call it. They it's, do. Yeah, yeah. You meow. should you should watch the drama. It's like thirty episodes. I saw I the think. segment that you like that little clip that yeah yeah that was one of the beginning segment yeah yeah but then uh and they're fighting with yeah it's a story about fighting demons like like the human realm fighting off the demon realms uh-huh. and then like uh the male people are descendants of dua that's the day really yeah, yeah and they they were I'm obsessed able, with Nuwa, just yeah saying. they're able to like summon water rain and all that and thunder which, <laughs> okay let's not get into the yeah but then, yet. but then the 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 you see like in in the movie you see like the um the stereotypes of goo magic and the male people like it's so apparent interesting. yeah and goo magic is just such an old concept i was reading into it like it's found on the oracle bones like the first inscription of yeah. it and stuff and, and yeah so, and i think at this point that we're an ancient people but then i think it's also that negative stereotypes where it labels us so that we are to be feared mm. and and that negative stereotype that we are not modernized backwards you know mm. but then right. i think in this movie in particular in like this, this yeah <laughs> modern and in, in this fight scene you know you have two male women fighting each other and they were like it was like they're using poison there was like a poison iguana a poison fighting. iguana and then yeah. the lady right. was literally wearing like a huge like headdress with like it was like big and then like these silver horns she was like throwing snakes and like calling the snake and like i was like whoa (laughs) i was like wow these Hmong women don't mess with them poison you die (laughs) but you know what like as a Hmong american woman all these things are so new to me i don't know a Hmong person okay i don't know a Hmong woman who raises snakes i'm sorry (laughs) i don't know one i was kind of interested in getting a pet snake at one point but i don't have any hey maybe that's your goo magic (laughs) goo magic i don't know anyone who raises snakes and puts scorpions in in like jars and stuff like that i think uh moving forward i think you know chinese cinema we might see like a lot of goo magic being depicted i think it's something that a lot of Hmong people in the west we don't pick up like it's subtle like like using Uh poison and magic we don't realize that wait how come the how come the han chinese aren't using magic but only it's always when like the, the ethnic minorities ethnic portrayed minorities because you know like the yeah. way so i was listening to the Hmong dubbed version of swordsman and the way they dub it as a Hmong person if you're listening it's confusing because Jet Li will be the version I was listening to. Mm-hmm. Jet Li will be like, "Oh, But then later on, it would be like, "Oh, well, I mean, so in the way they dub it, the characters become Hmong, 
and um, then and then, ra- and then it kind of erases like what the context is kind of, and they don't call uh, the Sun Moon cult Highlanders, obviously. So you don't get that context that yeah. oh, like there's a separation yeah, between Highlanders, Highland, mainlanders, yeah. And then the you don't really yeah. see that, yeah. or you don't get that context. Um, and even with what they're wearing, you might not necessarily recognize that Loya Mong, right? Because yeah. um, I was watching it with my partner, and he was like, they're Mong? And I'm like, yes, they're Mong! Like, they're totally <laughs> Mong, just look at what they're wearing. I think, you know, because of goo magic and all this, then there's always this, like, oh, Mong women are a special kind of breed of woman. In the 1900s, right, there's modern Hmong women who are... Seen as like the beauty of China. Yeah, our looks our, our, our are looks. very defined yeah. as well in yes. like a cultural. Mem- I, it's not cultural memory, but it's just like cultural understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember this because I made a friend um, when I was studying abroad in South Korea, and she was from China. And I was very young at the time; I was like eighteen. But I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm Hmong. I like Miaozu." And she was like, "Oh, no wonder why you're so beautiful because the Miao women are all beautiful." And I was like, "Really?" And she was like, <laughs> yeah. "Yeah, everyone knows Miao women are the most beautiful women." And I'm like, "Oh." I had no idea. Yeah, and right <laughs> now you go to China or you tell people you're male and they're like, oh, ethnic tourism, Xi'an, all the most beautiful women are there. That's and, interesting. And it's like... We're commodified, guys. <laughs> what the... Yeah, but then I think, you know, this is a quote from an anthropologist, Diamond, and he said, Chinese belief in the Gu and male witchcraft is not based on an ethnographic fact, but on irreconcilable culture of a different argument and the bizarre imagination of the Han people on the male people, you know, and so so how they want to envision who we we are are. as these magical, magical beings from the past who are still around. Yeah. And the woman. Not the men. The women are the ones who stand out the most. <laughs> well, it's easy to to because, um, like I say, we are object. Women are easily objectified. Yes, it's much easier to to place that on us. Yeah, and so I we also want to talk about female figures who are prominent and like. Uh, in Chinese history, one of the prominent figures that we're talking about is uh, Lani, right? Lani is, people don't, you don't know Lani, then Lani. Is that her full name? Lani? Yeah, Lan is Lan? And Last Ni. name? Is uh, Lan and then Ni? Yeah, that's the nickname. She has a oh, full name, but okay. I, I don't know what her full name was. Lan is her. L- but Lan. she's known as the Miao Princess. Miao Princess, Lan Miao Ni. Beauty of the 1940s or the Republican era. So in China, there's different eras, right? There's the dynastic era, the modern era. Uh, this is the Republican era. What is the Republican era? Like the, right after the Qing Dynasty. Right after the Qing Dynasty. You know, that's called the Republican era. So the 1917 through 1945, that is the Republican era. And during this time, there's this. N- Mel Mong Femme Fatale. You know, her name is Lonnie. She had blue eyes. And, you know, a few folks know, but she actually came and lived in San Francisco. Uh, she returned to China in 1990, and then she passed away in Shanghai in 1996. So, uh, why is she a Femme Fatale? Uh, she was born in Yunnan to an aristocratic family, male family. Uh, Yunnan, then most male in Yunnan are Western Hmong. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, I did confirm with my uh, what, a professor, Zhang Xiao, in China about Lani. And she's like, that's a good research topic you should look into because Lani <laughs> is Hmong. And I was like, yeah, cool, this Lani is so is cool. Lani is Hmong, yeah. And she is she's interesting a- because mm-hmm. she's 
very beautiful. So when uh, her family moved to Shanghai, they her father got an illness and the family became broke. They married her off to a rich Chinese family. She got a divorce. And then she met Sun Ke or Sun Fo, which is the eldest son of Dr. Sun Yat-sen. So you don't know Dr. Su Yat-sen. Dr. Su Yat-sen is considered the George Washington of China. You know, the he, founding father the of founding the father modern China. Of modern China. He was the one who overthrew the republic. He was the one who led the KMT. Uh, and like, if he didn't pass away with uh, cancer at such an early age, we don't know what modern China would be like today. You know, and his son. First, first son, right? The eldest son, mm-hmm. Yao, <laughs> the second wife. <laughs> yeah, Chinese has second wife too. <laughs> is was Lani? You know, I don't know if she coerced him or he, he just fell for her beauty. But don't say that. That's like <laughs> falling into the stereotype. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but then yeah, they they were married, and you know. But it was not uncommon for men to take multiple wives yes, at this time. time. I and mean, I was looking into it, and it. I was just surprised at how many political leaders just had, like, first wife, second wife, third, third wife, fourth wife. Right? I'm like, yeah. okay, all right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it was his second wife. His second wife. And he seemed very smitten by her. Yeah. I read the story, and he had actually been having an affair with his first secretary, who he got pregnant um, but did not marry, and then he met Lonnie and was really interested, mm-hmm. hired her on as a secretary, then liked her so much, and, and he married, married her, her. Against the wishes of his first wife. And his family, yeah. because, and, yeah. They're the first family They're of China. They're the first family of yeah. China at the yeah. time. And so when, when, you know, when his father died, Su Yun-sun died, and they were like, oh, who's up for the next leadership, right? And so that was when Chiang Kai-shek took over the KMT, and, uh, you know, you don't know Chiang Kai-shek, then uh, he is the, like, general generalismo of the KMT who went to Taiwan and created the modern Republic of Taiwan today uh, and was exiled from China. But then, uh, yeah, Sun Fo or Sun Ke, during the election of Chiang Kai-shek, Sun Ko ran on a ticket to be the vice president. But because Sun Fo or Sun Ke because of Lani, you know, she was a crafty businesswoman too. And so she was really into high-end makeup. And so what she did was import and export. And this was during World War II, you know. And so she imported products from Germany and she imported products from Japan. Which was illegal. And which was illegal because China was going to war with Japan and mm-hmm. China was going to war with Germany. They were on the... They were on the side of the Allies. Mm-hmm. And Sun Fo, loving Lani so much wrote letters and you could say it's corruption right he went and told the uh the uh, corruption for makeup <laughs> holy yeah. moly he went and told the customs agent say hey let these products pass it's my wife's uh-huh. and then they exposed that and so yeah they right? were like uh they had like the proof of the letters he had written and yes. stuff like that and so, so it was a huge scandal and he, so then what happened? Like, was he able to run for sec or vice president? So or? he lost the election because of that huge scandal. They're like, oh, he has a second wife. Uh, he, he, you know, was uh, coerced. And this terrible yeah, woman who's yeah. like, uh, you know, like working with yeah, the other working side. working with the other side. Yeah. You know, importing products from Germany yeah. and trying to sneak it in and sell it to the public here yeah. in, in Shanghai. And, you know, that just, it was political suicide on his part. Mm-hmm. And so he lost the election. So, yeah, and so that's what why the Soon family 
you know, were ostracized or not part of politics. And so that was like what, that was the nail in the coffin for him. Crazy. Yeah. And so uh, Chiang Kai-shek took the helm of uh, the KMT, fought in the Chinese Civil War, lost, moved to Taiwan. Sun Fo moved to Taiwan. Lonnie couldn't move to Taiwan because she was to the second wife. And so I think she came to the States. And so she lived here for a while. She lived here for a while in San Francisco. And then, then that must have been what the forties or the yeah late forties fifties, and then in the late ninety late eighties she went back the, to Shanghai. She went to Shanghai, okay. the CCP or the mainland China. It wasn't Taiwan. Invited her to go back because they consider her. The first family, part of the first family, too. Uh, I think part of the Soon family, she's not considered part of their family at all. Like, she's ostracized. She is not part of the family. And so her daughter, Nora's son, you know, uh, was ostracized from the family, too. She is a prominent figure who, uh, and they don't consider themselves male. They're Chinese. Like, like they're just of male origin, but they're Chinese. Uh-huh. Yeah, but she played a very prominent role in, like, Chinese and U.S. bilateral trade relations in the 80s. Oh, I see. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. And that's, that's, interesting. that's how a Hmong woman from Yunnan <laughs> uh, was a big, big influence in the founding of the modern republic of China. Like, wow, a Hmong woman did all that just being a femme fatale. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, but because of that, no, I mean, she was known as this remarkable beauty. Blue eyes, um, yeah. Very exotic. They even said, oh, she had the meow exotic look in her. Yes. Um, but, yeah, because of the scandal, now she's known as a femme fatale, adding only to this stereotype of Hmong women being these, like, dangerous women who are out to, right. you know, just destroy men. <laughs> Do you think that this type of stereotype is still around? I think it is. Uh, and no. Yes and no. Yes and no. Yeah, because I think because of the one-child policy in China, um, I... I visited China multiple times and I talk with a lot of friends there and I think a lot of the Han Chinese men see Hmong women as like oh they're not that modernized they don't spend a lot of money and we still have a chance to marry them because they're really beautiful like it's still the stereotype is that they're really beautiful because I don't know if it's the the goo magic but it's just that oh male women are traditional and they're really beautiful they know how to take care of themselves Mm. but then you realize Hmong people are pretty tight. Male community is pretty tight-knit. They don't marry Han men. A lot Mm. of male women married within other ethnic minorities or within the male family themselves. And so uh, it's this this saying called like, oh, are you a cook Hmong or a cook Miao or a raw Miao, you know? Hmong xie la, Hmong yong, right? Uh Shu Miao or sheng Miao. A lot of Hmong are still what they consider shang, uh, raw male, which is uh, shang male, and they only married within the Hmong culture, or they only married. And so, like, these Chinese men try to go to Hmong villages to marry Hmong brides. But so can't. what's a cooked male? A cooked male would be a shu male. That means you are, I guess, tied to the modern Chinese state. So okay. you, you view yourself as a Chinese. Uh, and then a raw meow is someone who still what lives in the village, abides by cultural traditions or something like and that. And I think you're, you are bound to the Chinese state as well. And you do see yourself as Chinese, but you still have that heart of saying, like, I'm never going to marry a, a Han person. Like, I am going to, like, marry within my culture. Hmm. And it's so funny because I, I was talking to this, friend and she's from china and back then she was like 
oh, um, are you dating anybody? And I was like, no. And she's like, oh, okay, you should marry a male woman. I was like, oh, I used to talk to a Korean girl. And she's like, no, 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 no. You should marry a, a male woman. It's good for you. And it's she's good like, for you. Yeah. And I was like, what? Why did you say that? And then I was like, what about you? Are you married? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm uh, talking to this uh, guy, but he's not male. I was like, what? You told me to <laughs> marry someone. <laughs> but then she's like, oh, well, he's a minority. He's not Han. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, if you marry somebody who's not Han Chinese, but another minority in China, then I feel like you, you understand each other's struggle. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. And she's like, and then that's she told me she's like that's what it means to be sheng mail or raw mail is that heart of not conforming to the han I mean, chinese with that whole saying like they always say raw meal yeah, whereas is the cooked meal yeah. there's that separation i think there are some beautiful male women who are Hmong women who like i rose the ranks in china to like stardom i think you know in 26 you mentioned a few yeah uh, but then, you know, the goo magic thing is still back to being stereotyped, right? I think uh, that's still very apparent, too, because recently in 2016, right, right, the mayor or the stand-in mayor of Patela, I think he was appointed to be a temporary mayor, and he made this, like, horrible, horrible public comment in the speech where he says, um, I think it says here that the witchcraft culture of the male is horrible, <laughs> and then he said, why should we promote this kind of culture in our city? And he also added that, uh, you know, that the people should be warned against male women who uses sorcery to ensnare men. And this is 2016, and he was making two comments about, uh, he was making this comment. That. About, it happened right before we went. Yeah, mm-hmm. about two male women and and saying that, you know, Hmong women. And, and um, this is the mayor? The mayor the, of, of Wenchan, of Fatala, which is called Wenchan. Yeah. yeah. So he was an ethnic Han Chinese. In Yunnan province. And yeah, in Yunnan province. And Fatala has a lot of Hmong population. So I think the Hmong people there were in an uproar, and they, they kind of like, protested or rode against the mayor and so they really replaced him but it's just this stereotype they replaced him because of that comment yes that's amazing yeah i mean that's racist it's pretty pretty cutthroat (laughs) it's called racism (laughs) um yeah so um you did mention though there have been quite a few beautiful beautiful Hmong women who have yeah so and made it to stardom in Chinese history, you know, they always talk about the four femme fatale or the four beauties who changed the history of There's this mythology of the four beauties. Right? Uh-huh. The four new beauties of uh, modern, day, modern China. day China, too, you know. And uh, and uh, and one of them is, uh, you know, Fan Bingbing. Fan Bingbing does a lot of uh, Chinese historical drama. I don't watch Chinese historical drama, but I know Fan Bingbing is a, a, a big one. And people who watch Chinese historical drama know know her too and she's really beautiful but then uh one another one that's featured is uh opera singer called song suying and song suying is male uh, she grew up in hunan mm-hmm. she went through the ranks of the military she became an opera singer and she's considered one of the most beautiful women in china she's old now but <laughs> oh she, quite a few of these ladies are quite yeah, like they're yeah, much older yeah but they're much they're, older now but then in the but I guess, they're considered the modern, modern four, four beauties, beauties of china. china yeah and song Jing is male and so i think that's pretty inclusive of how chinese see Hmong people is that i think this is kind of breaking the trend, I'm saying, because Interesting. because Hmong women are being recognized in China as being a modern beauty oh. as well. I think I see it like that. Like, there's no negative stereotype about her. All of this is really new to me. I don't even know who any of these ladies are. I'm not, like, I've never really been big into Chinese pop culture or Chinese, like, cinemas or anything like that. So all this is really fascinating to me. Um, 
to not just read about these stereotypes yeah. but then actually like be able to watch and see and kind of like make your own judgment or right. uh yeah and these are like perspectives from the east that <clears throat> the west here in the west we don't talk about it. we don't hear it we don't see it. i mean it's definitely not yeah. unreal with the mayor of abatala making that statement and yeah. people like obviously being upset about that yes. because so you know the stereotype of Hmong women and therefore Hmong people practicing some type of dark witchcraft. Yeah, and there's a lot of Chinese novels out there that you know wuxia novels that just keep going and going about still perpetuating the stereotype that you know the male people culture yep. woman still practices. Yeah. Uh, sorcery, uh, <laughs> goo magic, poison, you know, sexualizing and stealing Hanmin. Today's conversation has really been really interesting. interesting. Um, definitely more to dig into and look into. So if any of you have like more um, examples of this, <laughs> definitely share it with us, send it to us, uh, comment it. Um, if you're watching via YouTube or Facebook, um, we will go ahead and uh, add some links for you to do your own further reading um, into uh onto our Facebook pages and um, our YouTube videos and stuff like that. So if you're listening via a podcast app, definitely look for us in our social media um, and like and follow as well. Yes, and we look forward for you to join us on our next episode. Of Mongish. Mong <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs>